Hey, this is Damon West, keynote speaker and best-selling author of The Coffee Bean. You are listening to Chasing Birdies. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Chasing Birdies. And I got to tell you, man, uh, Pepster, I'm pretty stoked about this one today. How you doing? Good, buddy. Good. You know, this. Uh, we're two weeks into the diet, and... Uh, I hate to say that I, I've cut back on the Chase and Birdie Blondales, uh, which today's episode is brought to you by linksbrewing.com. Go check them out at Links Brewing, see all their offerings, but more importantly, check out the Chase and Birdie Blondale. Um, you know, we got some cool shit happening for 2023 with the Links Brewing boys, so I can't yep. wait for that one. I see you laughing, bud, about my diet, but you know what? <laughs> 12 to 8, it's been it's been good. I broke it once. Uh, I had to have breakfast one morning because I just, uh, breakfast is my thing, and, and uh, but it's good, dude. Perfect. I'm not snacking as much. I kind of dig it, huh? No, road rage. I guess this is what a normal human being is supposed to act like. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. No. I'm proud of you for doing that, man. Cutting the beer out, although the Chasing Birdies Blonde Ale is exceptional, so you should add that back in. Mm. But you know what? You, you you had a goal. You stuck with the plan. Now you're executing. Well well I'm done, trying. bud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, Lynx Brewing, I know Lynx Brewing is all over Pittsburgh, but we are just absolutely getting inundated with people wanting this beer. So people, hang on for your hats next year. We hope to make it a little more available Definitely something that we're working on over here on our end. So appreciate the patience on that. Our boy Becker Side was note, at Pikewood, bud. Becker was at Pikewood. Shout out Jeff Becker, Lynx Brewing. He um he said he loved the course, yeah, well, which yeah. <laughs> what's there not to love, bud? What's there know, not to love? While Becker's about? while Becker is chasing his little white golf ball over the place, our boy Royer McElroy uh, took over the world's number one. And uh, I think mm-hmm. this might be the third person this year for world number one, which, again, you know, you think about what Tiger did when he was number one for years at a time. It's it's yep. it's crazy, dude. And, um, you know, t- we've had three number ones this year. So, um, hey, but I'm Let's happy for hit. Rory. Our boy, Dr. Bob Rutella, past guest, uh, works with Rory. And... Um, you know, he's Helping on the phone out, a man. lot with them since since he can't be there all the time. And hey, bud, which makes me think that maybe you and I mm-hmm. should go as member guest partners and sit down with Doctor Bob and kind of dive in and see if there's something you know there's something we're missing here. But he's yeah, he's got no cure. If anything, he's going to tell us, hey guys, why don't you maybe not do that this year? Why don't you maybe like go to a sewing class or something or work on another team building activity instead of us trying to play golf but i agree it could be good especially Mm -hmm. if we can get into that uh usga four ball which i'm telling you we gotta try to do next year we keep Um, saying about every year but hope right so think about Mm -hmm. this all of our episodes to now which has been almost two years we we think they're really good right like we're biased a little bit we had great episodes we've had okay episodes sometimes but more than likely, we, we're going to say we, we love and enjoy every episode. Buddy, today's guest, Damon West, I got to tell you, is one of the most inspiring podcast episodes we have ever done. Do you agree? I would agree with you. Um, we have to thank my sister and thank, my father yes. for, for setting this one up. Uh, yes. We've been chasing Damon around for for a couple months now, and they got to play with them at a, at a, at a golf week event in Florida, and they told mm-hmm. me a story. It's truly incredible. The guy's written three books, and the one, The Coffee Bean, um, mm-hmm. I've read, and it's an easy read, and if you're a business owner, uh, an employee of somebody else, this is something that you should read because we are all one of these things. Yeah, well, if you're bean, just- A carrot. Or an egg. And yeah. I'll leave it at that. Um, Damon's story is truly incredible. He was at the bottom of the barrel and mm-hmm. uh, he came out. And I mean, you think about it, man, a 65 year sentence. Yeah. And, That's and unbelievable. the thing that, like, when he tells this story, I, I, I just, from what my dad said and, and my sister said, how good his dad is and, you know, how good Damon is. And it's just like, Damon had to look at his parents when this sentence got read off and it's just like, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and he took a horrible situation 
and he turned it into an incredible situation. I mean, the guy's a motivational speaker for uh, Dabo Sweeney. Ever heard of him? Yeah. Who's the, who's the guy down in Tuscaloosa? What's the, what's the guy's, the, the uh, University of Alabama football coach? What's his name? Nick Saban. Nick Saban, motivational speaker for him too. Uh, the Very guy's smart. all over college football, NFL, um, NCAA basketball, NBA. He's doing it all. He's motivational speaking for everyone. And I, and I think that this is going to be a really cool episode for people to tune into and actually, um, you know, see that. Well, f- first off, I shut I shut up for once in my life listening to this guy's story. So yeah, and, may, and you know what, dude? Great preface to this podcast. Um, you hit the nail on the head with everything you said. You guys may have listened to Damon West on the Ed Millette show at some point, um, but right now you're about to hear Damon West here on Chasing Birdies. As you all know by now, Chasing Birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and Bourne. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Bourne makes fabulous pieces to help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to chasingbirdies.com to get some custom chasing birdie gear from Holderness and Bourne. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's chasingbirdies.com and Holderness and Bourne at hbgolf.com. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on another episode of Chasing Birdies. And as you know by now, we love to have guests on here that are not only chasing birdies on the course, but have chased birdies in life all over the place. And today's guest is no different than that, a motivational speaker, an author, an entrepreneur, really. Damon West joins us today. Damon, how you doing, man? Man, Ryan, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. And Pep, thanks for working with me on the schedule, guys. I know it's been hectic. Honestly, I was supposed to be doing this podcast from Orlando, Florida right now, but you know, the, to timestamp this recording, uh, Orlando, Florida is not the place you want to be after Hurricane Ian, right? So, I mean, not right now. Thank yeah. you so much for coming on. Yeah, I had to reroute, and I'm in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. So, uh, yeah, it's wow. great to be here. <laughs> Opposite ends no. of the spectrum, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no I'm doubt. I'm here to talk to University of Connecticut's men's basketball team tomorrow. So, that's what I'm in town for. Very nice. So wow. and we'll get into that. Um, I, I actually, wow. so Dame and I got to know through, uh, my father plays, I think, I guess what with your dad, Bob, once a year at the golf week, uh, father, son, which my sister plays with them. So not really father, son there, but, um, <laughs> and they got to know you probably about three years ago, I guess they met you. And then I started this podcast with Ryan and they had mentioned you, and we've been chasing you down, and finally uh, you're here. But your story is truly incredible uh, from top to bottom. I mean, again, we'll get into it, but it gives everyone hope. And and it's pretty cool what, what you're doing right now. And so so let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, coming out of high school, you were a stud quarterback playing football, and um, you went to college. Where did you happen to play your college football? University of North Texas. I was a uh, Division One college quarterback at UNT. Uh, was a starter by the time I was twenty. Yeah, I, mean, I was a really good football player, man. I had a, a a cannon for a right arm, and I could scramble. I mean, they didn't have a star system back there, but back then, but I would have been a four or five star for sure. I mean, it, until they found out how short I was, which is what ultimately happened going into my senior season of high school. I mean, I'm I'm five eleven on a really good day. But back then in 1994, no one wanted 5'11 quarterbacks, man. Everybody wanted this prototypical quarterback. This is before guys that can move around like Johnny Manziel and Robert Griffin III and Drew Brees, you know. Well, I will mm-hmm. tell you, Damon, uh, you're hovering over Ryan, so you're a lot taller than him. Uh, he's, <laughs> yeah, he got five. He's a stout five foot seven. So um, that's that's generous, Pep. Thanks, bud. He's always got to talk <laughs> nice. about my height, Damon. I mean, it's like. You know, it's a guy thing, man. Whatever. It's it's comes with the territory of being a guy, man. My my dad, my brothers pick on me because I'm shorter than all of them. So I, I get it. I, I yeah. get it, Ryan. Yeah. So what was your We're whole experience boat. at college like? You know, I mean, like you said, you you were a stud quarterback at University of North Texas and and uh, living the life, going to going to class, and 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 I guess your dreams were probably one day to play in the NFL, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think every kid that plays college football thinks that, you know, that might be a possibility or that that would be a, a, a neat dream. Of course, I was no different, but I, I didn't have the kind of skill set to do that. I was I was a decent college, college quarterback, um, you know, because once you get into college, 
it's really just an all-star of everybody in high school. And depending on the level of college football you play is how good of the all-stars that there were. Um, but my college life, I was pretty wild, guys. I mean, I was, uh, I was in a fraternity. I was a Lambda Chi Alpha. Uh, at the University of North Texas. I was in a fraternity. I did a lot of partying. I was there, uh, you know, not mm -hmm. for the right reasons a lot of times. Uh, I did a lot of drinking, got into drugs, especially after I got hurt. I got hurt in my uh, redshirt sophomore year, third play of the game, third game of the season. Went down against Texas A&M. And once that happened, I, I kind of spun off into a lot of a lot of bad choices. It took a lot of wrong turns at the fork in the road of life. And Got into mm -hmm. cocaine, ecstasy pills, that kind of thing. But, you know, I graduated college. Uh, I was a very functional addict. I was, it was 1999 when I finally graduated college. It took me five years to get in and out of college with a bachelor's degree. And, and after that, I went on to work uh, some pretty neat jobs. Worked in the United States Congress, worked for a guy running for president. And then in 2004, I was back in Dallas training to be a stockbroker for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And so Man, you had mentioned the, the choices in life, you know, you're in college, you're young, uh, and, and people don't realize that those choices do affect your life, you know, and, and, um, we were all in college and we all made decisions that we probably right now wouldn't, wouldn't make to you. How did that kind of change your life? I mean, like you said, you were, you were into the, the ecstasy, you were into the cocaine. Where did those drugs lead you in your life? Yeah, you know, I got into, um, I had a lot of bad belief systems. And I think this is where ultimately this this road is going down for me, looking back on it in the lens of history, the rearview mirror that's always correct. Uh, I had a lot of bad belief systems. And these belief systems really started when I was about 10 or 12 years old. When I was 10, I started drinking for the first time. I'd get in my dad's beer in the fridge. When I was 12, I started smoking pot. And I had this belief system that, you know, I'm kind of invincible, and plus, you know, I don't understand what the adults are upset about. You know, I'm just drinking a little beer, smoke a little pot. I can do whatever I want. Um, a lot of character issues are developing at a young age. And here's the deal about bad belief systems. Belief systems are very hard to change. The longer we hold on to a belief system, the harder it is to get rid of. And the truth about belief system is, you know, they usually went out in the end. It's very difficult to change a belief system. And so, of course, I had this belief system in a party a lot. I drink it a lot. Uh, I do drugs, but mostly, you know, like smoking pot and stuff like that until I get hurt in college. And the problem is, is that I have this belief system that is founded on things that are, that are not good. And, and my identity is wrapped up into something external, my college football career. Mm -hmm. And once the college football career was removed from my life because of an injury that ended it prematurely, I get up to this fork and road in life and, and my identity is gone. And, and instead of trying to deal with life on life's terms, which is what I've never done because I've always been inebriated. I've always put in chemicals to change the way I felt. Instead of dealing with life on life's terms, I, I turned to more hardcore drugs to deal with it because the weed and the alcohol would not deaden that pain. But the cocaine, the ecstasy, stuff like that started coming into play because that was a more extreme way of trying to deal with life without having to deal with the pain and the reality of not playing college football. It's, yeah, and yeah, that's, that's what, how people cope. And, and I guess for me, when you were in this stage, this dark period of your life, when you were addicted to these drugs, your football career ended, when you were in a sober mindset on a, any given day, did you ever think that, hey, I need to change my ways? Or did you just not really care and just keep going down that path of, I, I don't care? I had this idea. So this is the thing about, I look back at it now, I'm in the early stages of my disease of addiction. I, I'm an addict. And, and what that means is that I, I suffer from this, this disease of addiction. And as an addict, it means that I, I don't have control over drugs and alcohol or whatever your addiction is. And, and as such, today in my life, I have a program recovery, which is AA. I go to my AA meetings three times a week. I have a sponsor, talk to him all, all the time. I work the steps. In my life of recovery, I have tools to live with my addiction. But when I'm in my addiction, when any addict is in their addiction, they do not have tools to live with their addiction. And one of the biggest problems about being an addict is that you have this idea, this fallacy of control. You think you have control over all these things that are going on. You think you have control over the drugs and alcohol, when the reality is you don't have control over that. It has control over you. 
And I think that in my delusional mind as an addict, I always thought I had control of this stuff. Like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I may be out there doing some drugs and stuff like that, but, but I'm still in control of this. I can stop anytime I want or I can slow it down. I'm still functioning. I still have a job. I graduated from college. You know, it's all these things that are on the periphery that makes it look like you've got this, you know, you've got this licked. And one of the, one of the things that's a big hindrance for, for some addicts was for me, is when you're a, a, a semi-intelligent person and you think you're smarter than everything going on around you, you think you're smarter than this, this disease and you think you're smart enough mm -hmm. to think your way out of anything. Or maybe you think you're a smooth enough talker, which is me too. I thought I was, I could talk my way out of anything. I could get into some trouble, but I could get myself out of it too. And life had always right. taught me that, especially when I was a really good athlete. You know, things just seem to happen for really good athletes a lot of times. And that's not necessarily a good thing it's not a, it's not a service that we do for gifted and talented athletes we let them think that you know they they can get away with things just because of their ability to play a sport so when did it get to a point damon i mean where you're like all right you know you you went to college you, you got into it when did it get a point where you're like i need to change my life you know is there a certain point after college during college while you were doing these drugs yeah yeah so i mean it, it's it's a good question and i tell you it has to do with hitting rock bottom and everybody's rock bottom is different. Rock bottom is the place you go to where you there's just nowhere else to go. And so you try to find a way up at that point. Some people never hit rock bottom. My rock bottom was May 18th, 2009. I can tell you exactly where I was on the day. I was standing in front of a jury in Dallas and a jury, these, these 12 minute women, in this jury box, they've just listened to a six day criminal trial, criminal trial against me for the crime of engaging in organized criminal activity. And they've, they've got me dead to rights. The evidence is overwhelming. I'm the mastermind of a ring of burglars, a bunch of other meth addicts like myself, breaking into people's houses to steal for meth. And the jury heard so much evidence against me. And, and these crimes, y'all, these crimes were, were non-aggravated, meaning that no one was ever home during the commission of my burglaries. Uh, I never saw my victims. They never saw me. Uh, mm -hmm. no, no weapons were ever used. These weren't, these weren't violent crimes. These were property crimes around meth. But at the end of that six-day trial, on May 18, 2009, the jury had heard enough, and they hated my guts, and I gave them every reason to hate me. And at the end of that six-day trial, the jury went to deliberate for 10 minutes on my punishment. <laughs> 10 minutes, y'all. I don't know how much law and order you minutes. watch, but if a jury's gone for 10 minutes, man, it means they smoked you. And man, they bring me back into the mm -hmm. courtroom. The, the, you know, I, I didn't have time to eat the bologna sandwich they gave me on the break. 10 minutes is not a long time. They bring me back into the courtroom. Y'all, I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I've got a lot of support from my family. I've got two paid attorneys. I didn't have a court-appointed lawyer. Two paid attorneys. Man, they bring me back into the courtroom. My second chair counsel, this woman named Karen Lambert, my second attorney, she looks at me and she says, brace yourself, it's going to be bad. And I'm like, how bad, Karen? She said, while you were gone for that brief 10 minutes, the jury sent a note into the judge from the jury room. They wanted to know if they could give you life without parole. Life oh without parole, man, that is a capital punishment. These are not capital crimes. Capital crimes are crimes where you, you kill someone in the commission of your crime. And I'm like, Karen, no one even got hurt, much less killed. This is crazy. She said, brace yourself. The judge called the court back in that day. He said, Damon Joseph West, you are hereby sentenced to 65 years in the Texas Department of criminal justice. 65 years is wow. a life sentence in Texas. A jury in Dallas gave me life in prison on May 18th, 2009. That is the day that I hit rock bottom. That's the day that I realized that something had to change and that something was me. I I have so many- uh, Yeah. I mean, like there's it's the, just the, the emotions uh, that have to be you know, at that point, 2009, how old are you, Damon? Then. 33 years old. 33 yeah, years old. so you old. have a whole life ahead of you, okay? Yeah. And you, you, 12 yeah, people basically just carved out your future for you. 
Yeah, and here's and, the deal. I mean, um, I, you know, I did the things they said I did. So um, that's you know that's the 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 thing, the whole thing about consequences and and the choices you make have a consequence attached to it. And you know, there was some time in my life. Pep, when I had some resentments against the judge in the case, Judge Snipes, because I, I used to know this guy. We used to hang out before he was a judge, before I was a meth addict. But I realized later on when I got into my program recovery that I play a role in all of my problems. In fact, whenever I am disturbed, there's something wrong with me. And so when I started looking at that and the role that I play in my problems, I realized that, you know what? I gave that jury the power to sentence me to life in prison that day because of the choices that I made, because I violated people's homes. And look, I never physically hurt anybody, but I hurt my victims in a different way. I stole, I stole more than mm-hmm. their property. I stole their sense of security. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how, 65 years in 2009, that's leading you to 2074. How are we talking to you right now? Well... It's actually 2073. You got to go back to the day I got arrested. That's when my sentence started. 73. Sorry. Yeah, July July 30th, 2008 was uh, the the SWAT team came and got me. They, I was I was in a, this dope house I was living in, and uh, the SWAT team comes and arrests me that day. So my sentence really starts on July 30th, 2008. I get off my parole. Um, I'm on parole. I made, I made my first parole in the state of Texas. Seven years and three months, 18 days. I walked out of a Texas maximum security prison on parole until 2073. That means every every you know every month I see my parole officer, I pee in a cup, I pay a fine. Uh, if I want to leave the state of Texas, like is where I'm right now in Hartford, I have to get permission from the state of Texas. I am on parole for the rest of my life. And, and so let me ask you in that in that regard, you know, you you get out of jail, but you're on parole. It's kind of it's got to feel like a win, right? Like even though you're on parole, you have your life back in a sense. Or was that hard to deal with to try to rationalize how much longer you're going to be on parole basically the rest of your dude, life? Dude, no, you hit the nail on the head, Ryan. I mean, dude, I, here's the deal. Every day that I wake up in this new life, I've been out I've been out of prison for almost 7 years at this point for we're recording. Every day that I wake up and my feet don't hit the cold concrete floor of that prison cell, I'm winning. And I mean, I'm telling you, man, I've been on a roll for almost seven years, man. I mean, my worst day out here is better than my best day in prison. Everything in my life is viewed through the lens of the adversity that I've had to face. And that's the whole point of the story when I go around telling it to people all over the world is that we have this amazing thing in life called perspective. We know what a bad day looks like. Some days we'll get pulled into this mindset that this is a horrible thing, all these bad things are happening, when in reality, if we just take a step back, we realize we have gone through what a real bad day is. This isn't one of those. In fact, this a lot of times it's not even close to what a real bad day looks like. It's like when you're sitting in traffic. Some days you sit in traffic and, the, and you're mad, you're angry, the traffic bothers you. Mm-hmm. Then there's other times as you sit in traffic and it doesn't bother you at all. Is it the traffic or is it your mindset? It's always the way you see the situation that you're in. Position determines perspective, Ryan. Yeah, that's yeah, no, you that makes perfect sense. And and that's kind of what I was thinking from from my perspective here hearing the story. Like, yeah, you have to shift that internal thought process of where you are today versus where you were yesterday and how that life has changed in a better way. Um, when you got sentenced, I, I know you said you had all the evidence in the world against you, but so there was really no reason to appeal the sentencing, correct? I mean, I, what did your oh, attorneys I, think? Yeah, no, that's uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of semantics. You said to, to appeal the sentence. Look, just just because you're found guilty doesn't mean there's not room to appeal something and try to find a way, you know, to lessen the severity of it. Like, for example, when I was in prison, I did my own legal work. I was trying to get myself out of prison. There's, there's kind of an axiom that everybody in prison wants out. That's really true because most, I mean, well, most people in prison want out, and I was one of them. So I did my own legal work when I was in prison. And I wrote this appeal that when I was in there, and the appeal ultimately didn't did not end up being successful to remove me from prison or shorten my sentence. But what it did is it got the attention of some lawyers in this town called Beaumont, where I live. And this one lawyer that owned his own law firm there, a guy named Walter Humphrey, he has the most prestigious law firm in Southeast Texas. He, uh, you know, I sent him a copy of my brief that I wrote, and he gets back in touch with me, and he tells me, he said, "Hey, you put together." 
a hell of a writ for a guy that's never been to law school. When you get out of prison, if you get out of prison, come see me. I've got a job for you. And this ultimately, this writ that I wrote in prison ended up being my resume for the first job that I had. When, when I got out of prison, second day out of prison in 2015, I'm working at the most prestigious law firm in Southeast Texas because of a writ that I wrote that was ultimately unsuccessful in its mission of getting me out of prison or shortening my sentence, but it got me my first job out of prison. So, you know, and that's another lesson in life. Sometimes the things that we set out to do aren't exactly, you know, it's not the intention that, that we, it's not the result we were looking for, but it does exactly what it was supposed to do. Sometimes in life, we plan things out, but that's not how it's supposed to be. Or as I tell people all the time, man plans and God laughs. You know, that's kind of how life works. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You can't, you can't fight the bigger picture. That's for sure. Or it's that's out of it. Control, that's a good really. way to put it, man. Well, and, and everything, uh, everything in life happens for a reason. Good, bad, and indifferent. Um, you know, Damon, you were put through some adversity in your life and look what's on the other side. Look where you're at right now. I mean, you truly appreciate life right now. Um, you know, your story is just, it's, I mean, to, to be sit there and be told 65 years, I, I don't even know what I would do. Uh, it's, it, it took my breath away. It was like being, it's like, <clears throat> like being kicked in the stomach. But you know, guys, even though that happened that day, May 18th, 2009, I didn't have a plan figured out on how I was going to turn my life around. So many people hit their rock bottom and other circumstances in life can knock you down even further than rock bottom. Like I said, you, some people's rock bottom, they, man, they just never hit it. And I went into a system, the criminal justice system, prison to be specific, and most of the people on that path in there are not choosing to turn their life around. They're not choosing to remake themselves. But I had a little help along the way. And it was a guy I ran into in Dallas County Jail, this older black man, and his name was Mr. Jackson. And Mr. Jackson revealed to me one of the most important lessons I've ever learned in life. And this is a, you know, this goes back to the whole concept uh, that I tell people all the time, you know, whatever, in whatever faith you are, you can believe whatever you want in life. I'm not here to, to push any faith on anybody, but I believe that, that in my life, God, as I call God, God is never, uh, God never just reached his hand down and put his hand on my head and said, Damon, you're healed. God has always put people in my life and in the, these people in my life, they've, uh, they've been different along the way. When I was younger, they were my parents. They were teachers. They were coaches. There were people in the community of Port Arthur, Texas that helped raise me. And as I got older, they took on the forms of different people. And one of those people in my life was in the summer of 2009 in Dallas County Jail. It was a black Muslim man from the streets of Dallas, Texas. And I'm telling y'all, he, he couldn't be more different than me. I'm a white middle-class Catholic guy from a little bitty town called Port Arthur, Texas. But this man, so different than me, different than me, shared with me one of the most important and transformational messages I've ever received in my entire life. And, and I tell people, the moral to that is that if we ever shut ourselves off to people because of their differences, different race, different gender, ethnicity, different religion, different political beliefs, if we close ourselves off to people because of their differences, we miss some of the most important lessons and some of the best friendships in this life. Because Mr. Jackson, in the summer of 2009, Share with, me, share with me one day. He said, I want you to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he said, anything we put into this pot of boiling water is going to be changed by the heat and the pressure inside that pot. And he said, I'm going to put three things in the pot of boiling water and watch how they change. A carrot, an egg, and a coffee bean. And so he walks me through this allegory of the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. He said, the carrot in the pot of boiling water becomes soft, goes in hard, but becomes soft. The water breaks it down. He said, the carrots in life, they get beat, they get broken. They're, they're just sad people. That's what a carrot is. And he said, the egg in the same pot of boiling water goes in with a soft liquid inside. But inside, that soft liquid inside, the egg's heart becomes hardened. And he said, if your heart becomes hardened, you become incapable of giving or receiving love. And, and this happens to so many people that you see in life too. They become the eggs in the pot of boiling water called life. The life beats you down and makes you mad and mean and angry and, and irritable. But he told me, he said the coffee bean in the same pot of boiling water called life was the only thing that had the power to change the water. Everything else is changed by the water. 
because the coffee bean changed the pot of warm water into a pot of coffee. And that's what he told me. He said, if you want to come out of this prison experience as someone your parents recognize, because my parents have told me you have to come back as someone recognized or don't come back at all. He said, if you want to come back as that person, then you have to be a coffee bean. You have to change this pot of warm water called prison into a pot of coffee. And the last thing this man ever said to me in, in 2009 in Dallas County Jail, four words that changed my life. Be a coffee bean. Be a coffee bean, guys. And that was it. That was something I could wrap my brain around. It was like the message that got through to me. Because And now when I go around telling all over the world, anybody that's 5 or 95 understands this concept. In yeah. your hat, your T-shirt, both say be a yep. coffee bean. Um, your book, Be a Coffee Bean is out and I read it, your father, Bob, sent it to me um, and then he just sent me to the locker room, one that I'm, I'm currently uh, on the third chapter. But that book, again, it's almost like the concept of chasing birdies, right? Everyone in life is chasing birdies. Doesn't matter if you play golf, you don't play golf, you know, whatever it is, you're a VP, you're, you're a janitor, you're always trying to do something better in life. And that's, be a coffee bean, right? And uh, I gave it to Bash, and and it is something that every uh, owner of a company should have their employees, uh, their team members, um, their staff read this book because it is so true. Being a coffee bean, just it, it, it's so much better than just being the character of the egg, right? It applies to life in in the most simplest way. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think about it, it's it's simple, but it's so powerful and i have to say you know and i'll let you get into this a little more but with that idea in your in your pocket so to speak it probably was an easy pitch to a publisher i don't know if you got you obviously got a publishing deal from this correct i mean the books yeah it's powerful yeah and you know the whole deal with the publisher i'll I'll get into that a little bit how that all happened but you know the the concept of it is like you said it's, it's easy to understand and you also understand that you're going to be all three because being sad is a natural human emotion. You're going to experience days of the carrot. Being mad is also a natural human emotion. You're going to be experiencing days of the egg. I mean, dude, I'm an egg a lot. I'm in, I'm in airports every day. I mean, I become the egg quite often. <laughs> but the, the idea is that you have, a, you have a choice to be a coffee bean. And if you're having a carrot day or egg day, you can stop your day and you can start it over. And, you know, I grew up playing sports. My dad was a sports writer for 50 years, y'all. My dad... Uh, great dad. I mean, he's the kind of guy that, you know, would come home from work and play catch with me if it was baseball season, we're playing catch. Uh, he would play football. He would throw out, go out and throw the football with me, you know, if it was football season. Uh, he was always there to, to play with me and, and nurture those dreams of, of being an athlete. And I learned a lot of lessons through sports. And the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean went along really well with the same lessons that I picked up from my father playing sports in golf. You know, my dad is an avid golfer. We, we were playing golf from the minute we could walk. We had clubs cut to fit into our hands. And, you know, it's almost like I wish I would have had the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean allegory when I was younger uh, and my dad was introducing me to golf and playing golf. Because I'm telling you, man, on the golf course, I was an egg. I, I'm still an egg a lot of times on the golf course, man. I, I can't keep my ball in the fairway. I, a, a triple and quadruple putt, my, my, my greens. But the idea of being a coffee bean is that you always have the next shot, right? And it's almost like that concept you're talking about, chasing birdie. It it goes perfectly along with that because we always have the next shot. We always have the next choice of how we're going to respond to the next situation. No, that's true. And and, and linking it back to golf, you have to be able to forget easily in golf, you know, because you're going to hit those shots that make you shake your head and want, want to make you leave the course. But at the end of the day, you have to forget that, that, past shot that that made you an egg and to your case you know how were you able to forgive yourself with your past track record when you shifted into this new life i mean i'm sure that you had some pretty big internal talks with yourself just to kind of digest what had happened what transpired prior in your life and now on the path moving forward how how, you know was it easy to forgive yourself for that great question uh ryan because uh, forgiving myself in, in my program recovery, I work a 12-step program recovery, AA. I don't speak for AA, but I, I am an AA. So in my program recovery, 
we have these steps that you hear people talk about the 12 steps. And the eighth step is when you make a list of all the people you had harmed. Uh, and the ninth step is when you go and you make the amends. You become willing to make the amends, except when, except when making the amends would cause you or them harm. Um, and when I started working my 12 steps, I realized I had so many amends to people to make, but some of the biggest amends to make were to my family, who were my biggest victims of the crimes I committed, because mm-hmm. I didn't just, when I went to prison, I didn't just go to prison by myself. I took my entire family, my brothers, my mom, my dad. They all came to prison to see me. I locked everybody up, the entire family. Um, and that caused me to have a lot of resentments against myself. And we go back in the step work. The fourth step is when we write down what our resentments are. The biggest resentment I had in my life was against me. Because, and here's the deal. If someone would have done to my family what I did to my family, I'd probably kill them. You know, I, I'd probably kill them because I, yeah. the amount of pain that I cause these people that love me unconditionally is, is astronomical. Um, but I'm not going to kill myself. You know, it's one of those things. You have this preservation of life instinct. So are you really going to mm-hmm. kill yourself? No. So I've got to find a way to live with myself. And working this program recovery, I had to realize that in order for me to become whole again and become the best version of me, I had to forgive me. And that was the longest process. It was the hardest thing to forgive me. But I realized that one day that if I could be forgiven for all the things that I'd done to other people, if people could find it in their hearts to forgive me. And, and by the way, when you make an amends to somebody, there's no guarantee they're going to accept it. That's not even part of the equation. You make the apology, mm-hmm. no guarantees it's accepted. But, but so many people were accepting my apologies and forgiving me on the way. And I thought to myself one day, I mean, who am I to not forgive myself? If these people can forgive me with all the damage I've done to them, why can't I forgive me? And that's when I started healing and forgave myself, Ryan. It was a process. Yeah, it, and it, that's exactly what it is. And, and that's, that's, I, it takes a lot. And again, coming from from this position you were in with with all that adversity, I, I mean, I, I, it's it's remarkable, Damon. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. <laughs> so real quick, so you 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 did the co- um you know be a coffee bean and and uh, I was reading the book and in there you know it talks about Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban, which all these names are as big as it gets in the college football world. Okay, um, they don't just let anyone into their program and to talk and uh, which speaks volumes of you. How did you get with these, you know, with the University of Alabama, Clemson, you know, like you said, you're, you're right now, you're speaking to the University of Connecticut basketball team. You know, this doesn't just fall into your lap. This takes work to get to this point. And how, how did it all come about? And then this is a great story. This is one that I think your listeners are going to attach to because uh, everybody struggles in life. And we all have to find those times in life when the chips are kind of stacked against us or we see it that way. But we have to keep fighting. And it's like that old, old man in Dallas County Jail, Mr. Jackson, told me. He said, you don't have to win all your fights, but you do have to fight all your fights. And that means that, you know, you're not going to have good shots all the time on the golf course, to use a golf analogy. You're going to have bad shots. You're going to shank some shots in life. And, um, you know, I had this, this, this idea in life that, that growth follows belief. And in order, in order for you to grow, you have to believe in yourself first before other people are going to believe in you. But if you believe in yourself and you're willing to put in the work, Putting the work is hard, man. Putting the work means, uh, you know, it, it's sleepless nights sometimes. It's countless hours working at your craft and becoming the best version of you. 14 months out of prison, it was January 12th, 2017. I was working at that law firm, and I've got this dream of sharing this story with college football programs that I have. My, my whole story in the Be a Coffee Bean message. But I don't have any access to college football coaches. It's been 20 years since I've taken a snap at college. A buddy of mine calls me up. He's got an extra press pass to the Bear Bryant Coach of the Year Award. They're going to name the best college football coach in America. The eight best coaches in America are in this room. And he calls me up and he says, hey, Damon, I got an extra press pass. He works for the media. Do you want to go? So I was like, yeah, I live 90 miles from Houston. So I I drive the 90 miles from Beaumont to Houston. He sneaks me in. I get on the floor and I start meeting all these coaches and shaking their hands. And they're all there, guys. USC, Wisconsin, Penn State, P.J. Fleck. And I'm shaking all their hands. And every coach I meet that night slams the door in my face. 
I mean, it's, 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 it's brutal. It's a bloodbath. I mean, everybody's telling me no, no, no. In one hour, I've been told no seven times. Seven of the eight coaches have told me no, and I'm in the corner of the Toyota Center licking my wounds, feeling sorry for myself, and the voice in my head tells me, go home. Go. Quit. It's over. It's not happening for you. This is a dream that you're not going to get. But you know what I quit doing a long time ago? Listening to myself. And this is good for all the golfers out there, man. You can't listen to yourself because that voice in your head tells you some crazy things. So you know what I did a long time ago? I started talking to myself. And that's what I did that night. And I'm telling myself, no, you survived prison. You survived way worse than this. I'm using that perspective, right? And that last coach is going to tell you no to your face before you walk out that door tonight. I don't care what it takes, Damon. He's going to tell you no to your face. So I stalked Dabo Sweeney around that room. And I mean, I look like a crazy person. I'm hiding behind fake plans. I'm eavesdropping every conversation that Dabo has. And I finally pounce on Dabo. And man, I give Dabo my best stuff for like a minute. And he can't wait to get away from me. He's like, man, you got a card on you or something? He's just trying to get away from me. I gave him my card and he takes off going the other direction. And it's a no. And it feels like a no. It looks like a no. But I felt okay about that last no because I left it all in the field. I did everything I could. I tried my best. And that's what life is about. You give it your best effort. You don't have to win all your fights. But you have to fight all your fights. And so I went home that night after fighting all my fights. And I slept like a baby. and forgot all about that night. Till four months later when I was at my desk at that law firm. And I got an email. It was the director of football operations at Clemson University. A guy named Mike Dooley. And Mike Dooley said, hey, Damon. Coach Sweeney met you at an award show in Houston. He'd love to have you come talk to the team. Do you have August 1st open? Dude, I got every first open, Mike Dooley. I got nothing going on in my life right now. <laughs> so, man, August 1st, 2017, I go speak to the Clemson Tigers, the defending national champions of college football. And when I got done with my presentation that night, Dabo had me up against the wall in the team room at Clemson. And Dabo's very high energy, y'all. He's in my face, and he's like, Dude, he's like, that's the most amazing story I've ever heard. I've never seen my players respond like that to a speaker. He said, man, have you, have you been to Alabama yet? And I'm like, no, Dabo, I've been to Clemson, dude. I hadn't been anywhere. So he said, he said, I, he said, I just texted Nick Saban, told him what I was watching. And the next morning, I got a voicemail, a text message from the director of football operations at University of Alabama and said, we'll see you in Tuscaloosa in three weeks, 7.30 p.m., August 21st, you're on. And then just like that, the college football world opened up because now Kirby Smart's calling, Lincoln Riley's calling, Lane Kiffin's calling. All these coaches in America are calling my cell phone because Dabo's given them my number and said, you got to call this guy, right? Dabo believes in me. But the real magic in my life happened, Ryan. This is the answer to your question while I go about the publishing deal. The real magic in my life happened one year after my presentation at Clemson. August of 2018, I was still working at the law firm at that time. And one morning, my phone rang. And on the other end of my phone is a guy named John Gordon. John Gordon, man. John Gordon is one of the biggest motivational speakers in, in the world, man. This guy, and he's sold millions of books, five million books. The guy wrote a book called The Energy Bus that just went through the roof. And so John Gordon's a guy that I go to every morning on Twitter for my inspiration. And I'm like, man, John, I know who you are. How do you know who I, how'd you get my number? And he said, Dabo Sweeney. He said, man, I was just talking to the Clemson <laughs> football team. And Dabo pulled me in the office and he told me your story and he told me about the coffee bean. He said, Damon, the culture at Clemson is one of the best cultures of any corporation or team or anybody I've ever talked to. And, and John's talked to everybody, y'all. Every major corporation, every, every sports team. John said, I've never seen a culture like Clemson before and you changed their culture because their team motto is be a coffee bean. He said, Dabo's got t-shirts that are printed up said be a coffee bean with a little paw print on it. He said, and he said this in wow. 2018, this is before the pandemic. John said, the world needs the coffee bean message, Damon. Let's write a book to deliver it to the world. Will you write a book with me? So we wrote the book called The Coffee Bean. It came out in the summer of 2019. John already had a publishing deal with Wiley, the publisher, and John brought me into his Wiley publishing deal. So now I'm introduced to this massive publisher that John Gordon walked me into because John's a huge best-selling author. And we write the coffee bean. It comes out in the summer of 2019, 10 years after I heard the story of the coffee bean in Dallas County Jail, the summer of 2009. And this book became a global bestseller. I mean, it's in every language in the world. It's been reprinted. It's got a global publishing deal. 
It's in Chinese, Spanish, Arabic, French, Italian, German, port. I mean, it's in every language in the world, but it all goes back to a few nights in my life that I can point to. One of them was at night on January 12th, 2017, when I met Davo Sweeney, when I refused to leave and stuck around to get that last no, which ended up being the biggest yes in my life. And I tell people all the time, you can't give up before the miracle happens. You never know where that Davo Sweeney moment's gonna be. Or it's like Michael Jordan says, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. The only question you know the answer to in life is the one you don't ask, that's a no. Again, back to everything happens for a reason. I mean, Dabo Sweeney, it was the right time, right place. You were there. Um, and your biggest supporter is Dabo Sweeney. I mean, think about that. That's not a bad supporter to have, clearly. Uh, yeah, not but, at all. But also, also, it goes back to Mr. Jackson. You got to think about that, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. If, if, I I don't, mean, if I don't run into that guy in Dallas County Jail, I'm not. we're not talking right now. So let me ask you, have you talked to Mr. Jackson? Man, good question. So this is about to come out. I'm about to announce it uh, probably next week. I've been trying to find this guy. I don't know his, until recently, I didn't even know his real name. I just called him Mr. Jackson for the sake of the story. The only name I knew this guy by was Muhammad. And the reason why his name was Muhammad in Dallas County Jail, when guys convert to Islam, they give up what's called their, their, their government name, their real name. They, Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay went to prison in the 1960s, and he came out Muhammad Ali. This guy, mm -hmm. the only name I knew him by was Muhammad. And so when I got out of prison and I go around telling the story, I live in the South, guys, the, the deep South. I'm not going to go around telling people that Muhammad told me this and Muhammad told me that. I mean, it would kill the message before, because of the messenger, right? So I just gave him the name Mr. Jackson because everybody loves Mr. Jackson. But I tried to find this guy. Dallas County Jail is like, we need a real name or a birth date. So I go on telling the story. Till recently, I got a letter from an inmate in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and it said, find James Lynn Baker, and you find your Mr. Jackson. And I was like, okay, that's the clue I've been waiting for. Got a private investigator. We go to try to find James Lynn Baker. First, we find his criminal record, matches up perfectly what he said, in and out of prison all of his life. When I met him in 2009, I put him to be in his early 60s. Come to find out, he was born in 1950. So that put him at 59 years old when I met him. There's even an arrest on his criminal record that puts him in Dallas County Jail the same time I was there. This is my guy, right? But I've got to see him. I've got to see a picture of him or something. And, and I find out why we couldn't find him because Mr. Jackson died on May 9th, 2017. James Lynn Baker died of a drug overdose on um, May 9th, 2017, which is... You know, something I could totally understand because I'm a drug addict and I understand the power of addiction. And in his life, his addiction got the, got the best of him. And I reached out to his family next because I'm like, you know what? Couldn't find him, but I'm going to find his family because I want to honor him in some way. This is where it gets really interesting, guys. In 1972, the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders started their first cheerleading squad with seven women on the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders squad. Von Seal Baker... His sister is the first Dallas Cowboy cheerleader ever. Yeah. Two years later, wow. his other little sister, Vanessa, becomes a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader as well. But really, the real interesting part of the story is their mother, Bertha Baker, in 1949, is the first licensed black daycare owner in the city of Dallas. The first license that went to a black person to operate a daycare went to their mother, they were, she was a pioneer. This guy has roots in, in a, a pioneer and family. And I'm like, God doesn't make mistakes, guys. Nothing happens by accident in life. And so I found the family and I'm like, listen, I need to tell you something. That your brother impacted someone in life. Yeah, one person on this planet for sure was impacted by your brother. And that one person is impacting the entire planet today, or is trying to impact the entire planet. And I said, I want to honor him. I said, what high school did he go to? They all went to this school called Dallas Lincoln, very inner city, very urban, very black. And I said, I want to put an endowment for a scholarship, a $10,000 scholarship every year to give to a boy and a girl, the James Lynn Baker Be a Coffee Bean Scholarship in perpetuity. So every year from here on out, a boy and a girl that graduate from his high school in the inner city of Dallas will get an educational opportunity because two guys met each other in Dallas County Jail in the summer of 2009. That's, uh, Isn't that wild? That's I, I want to clap, right? I, yeah. I want to clap. 
<laughs> it's wild, That's, man. It's crazy. So I mean, you, you're, you, it's crazy. Like I said, you know, I've been I've been trying to get you for four months to come on here, and it's it's truly is. You know, as you can see, I mean, you probably see this all the time when you talk. Everybody's dead quiet, mouths are open, eyes are wide open. It's just a truly incredible story. You have three books right now. Is there anything in the television world uh, future for you? Yeah, so I've, I've got this deal with Lionsgate to uh, Dak Prescott. It's my partner in this deal. He got his own production company, D- D4K Productions. Um, and so Dak has become a huge partner in this thing because, I mean, you know, he's quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and uh, just a great guy all around. One, I mean, anything I can tell you about Dak Prescott, the best thing I can tell you is that the, being the Dallas Cowboy quarterback is not his identity. It's his, it's his job. And he uses that platform to help so many other people. And I'm just one of those people that he's helped in life because when he got involved in the project to turn my life story from my book, The Change Agent, into a television series, uh, everybody took it serious. Lionsgate took it serious. And so now we've got this project where we're getting ready to go and start pitching it to all the streaming services. An eight to 10 episode limited series called The Change Agent based on my life from my book, my autobiography. Hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll sell. We're going to pitch to Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Amazon Prime, you know, all the different streamers are Hulu. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, I mean, and it's a perfect pivot for you. I mean, you know, to take the story in real life, put it put it in words in a book, and now, you know, put it to the visual effect. Um, it kind of ties it full circle for you in that regard. So, I mean, and and by the way, I mean, you know, I'm interested not only for – for you with respect to your story of how you overcame that adversity. But I mean, you're, you're an entrepreneur, man. Um, you, you took life by the horn, so to speak, and made lemonade from lemons. Well, spoiled lemons, but you made lemonade. (laughs) And now look at this. I mean, it's incredible, man. It's just, yeah, it's, it's really mind blowing, but um, I'm excited to see it. Yeah, I've built a really big speaking business uh, as an entrepreneur. Um, I've got other businesses. My father-in-law and I have a, a real estate development company. We build houses. Uh, I've, my wife has a demolition company that um, it's in. She it's called Divas of Destruction, and uh, I got an oil and gas company. I'm an oil and gas operator. I have oil wells in South Texas for a company called Coffee Bean Energy. So that's my oil and gas company. Well, oh wow! Our man Ryan here is in the oil and gas business as well. So how about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I'm, I'm in natural gas though up here in Appalachia. Um, but um, yeah, I know. So I know we kind of heard the whole gist of the story. I got to ask you um, briefly here, and I might already know the answer. But what's your favorite locker room to talk in? Man, you know. Clemson is my go-to for for everything because of the the culture that Dabo's built at Clemson is you know John John Gordon was right. There's really nothing like it, man. It, and I, and I'll give you a, a real life story of why that that culture is so powerful. Teams that have uh, they're built on these great cultures, they can withstand adversity. And if you don't have good culture, you don't have a, a healthy locker room. You can't handle adversity. You just, I mean, look at what happened last year, this coaching carousel that goes on. You know, Florida, LSU, these teams, when they start losing a few games, they just implode and fall apart. They had nothing to fall back on. Clemson, by all metrics, had a down year last year. I mean, they won Mm -hmm. 10 games. I mean, how do you like to have double-digit wins and still be down? But – a bad year. They had a bad. They had what by by their, their the standard that they had set because the standard is the standard. Mm-hmm. By the standard they had set, they weren't having the kind of season that they normally have. And instead of falling apart, they fell into each other more, and they circled the the wagons and they salvaged what you know. If those other programs that, that didn't have culture, they they fell back on their culture. And they had a good season after all. Ten wins is still a great season. I don't, I don't, you know, I know that it's not the national championship where people have been used. I mean, they're not in the national, they're not in the national championship playoffs, which is the first time in seven years. But their culture can withstand direct hits like that. And if you don't have culture, you don't understand. You don't withstand that. With all this motivational speaking and traveling, um, how do you get time for some golf? I don't have much time for golf, brother. Uh, I, I made my dad a deal that I would try to take him golfing at least once a month. And, you know, and 
that worked for about three months in a row. And then after that, it was like, man, the, the <laughs> wheels have come off. We took him golfing. And when I actually golfed with your dad and your sister back in June for the father-son thing, it was my first mm -hmm. time ever getting to go to that. Both my brothers went. We took my dad golfing. It was the best Father's Day outing probably that he's ever had in his life. And, you know, it was, it was cool too, Pep, to be able to be there and be present when I got out of prison in 2015, mm -hmm. I walked around my parents' house and I saw all these family pictures. And the only thing missing from those family pictures for a long time, because you got to, not just the years that I'm incarcerated, but the years I'm out there on drugs on the street and living a, a lifestyle that wouldn't put me at home, there's all these pictures without me in it. The family's never been complete. Now the family's complete. And we, uh, we try to do stuff together. I'm actually taking my, I got a scramble I'm playing in next weekend. And my dad and I are going to be on the same team in the scramble. So it's going to be fun. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, well, at least, hey, my dad doesn't even take me to the father. Son, he takes the, my sister, so that's nice. Is she a better golfer? I, I think so, Damon. Let's not rub it in. <laughs> yeah, she's, man, it's, I'm she's the worst golfer in my man. whole family, man. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we suffer from the golf addiction, though, and, and that's probably one we um, we probably won't go to rehab for. Um. <laughs> I feel like rehab and golf addiction is just playing more golf. Uh, yeah, my dad, my dad raised us to believe that a bad day on the golf course is better than a good day at the office. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we we so appreciate your time. Um, you know, hearing this story, it's incredible, and uh, we're going to transition this to the last segment of the show, Damon, called the tap in segment, where Jonathan's going to ask you four questions that uh, demand your quick witted response. So, I'll let JP take it from here. Go for it. All right, Damon. What are you most proud of? Uh, being a servant leader, being able to put back in the world so much as a servant leader, helping other people reach their goals. I know you said you don't do much of this right now, but favorite golf course? Favorite golf course. Man, um, any golf course I can get on these days. <laughs> that would be my favorite golf course. That's awesome. I, I don't good. have That's I don't, me too right now. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I haven't played a lot of golf since I've been out of prison. I would love to. I love golf. What would you tell? A young Damon West. Uh, ask for help. The three hardest words for people to say, I need help. It's the hardest thing for people to say. And I never would ask for help. I would tell the young Damon West that vulnerability is a strength. Being vulnerable is a strength. Asking for help. There's nothing. There's nothing. We have this culture right now in America where we think vulnerability is a weakness, and it's really a strength. All right, last and final question. What are you chasing? What am I chasing? Man. You know, I think the thing in life that I'm chasing most is the opportunity to be useful. I'm always looking out for ways that I can help other people. I wake up every day. I've got one prayer that I pray in life. I, I ditched all the other prayers that I've been praying all my life because I realized that I was praying the wrong way. For me, you could pray whatever you want to pray for. But when I got into recovery, I learned how to pray. And I say one prayer every day. I ask God for two things in the morning. God, the way I believe God. I said anybody can believe whatever they want to believe in. But when I get up in the morning, I say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize that when I see it, because I don't want to miss that. Amen. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's my life today. Mm. I That's mean, this is, uh, this is one of the cool, I mean, again, I, I would say deepest, coolest interviews that we've done. And we, we've, we've done it for mm -hmm. about two years right now. Um, we can't thank you enough. I know you're a very, very busy man. I don't know how you do the scheduling yourself, but um, we greatly appreciate your time, Damon. And make sure for those of you that have not read The Coffee Bean, go get it. It's an easy read. I mean, you can read it in what would you say, Damon? 20 minutes. 45 minutes? 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah, 30 right, minutes. I'm a slow yeah. reader. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes Pep an hour. No, it is a phenomenal book. So I agree with you, Pep, 100%. Thanks, guys. I it's on my that. coffee stand. Yeah, that's good. All right, Damon. Thanks again, man. Well, I mean, Damon West uh, is, again, he, he's truly an incredible person. Thank you, Damon, for coming on, Jason Birdies, uh, to tell your story. Uh, it is a story. It is a story mm. of a lot of downs, and um, there's there's a lot of ups too. And it's just you know, like he said, 
you know, in the why in the road, you, you got to make a decision. Yep. And every decision, every day can affect your life. Yeah, man. I feel like it just, it does apply to life. You know, so many people get down on certain things and, and it's natural, right? Because we're human. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like you got to find a way to fight. You got to kind of get yourself in a position to think positively and get yourself out of that slump. And Damon West, hats off to you, man. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And it's a really inspiring story. So looking forward to seeing potentially some video aspect of Damon. I know he said he's working with Dak Prescott now on some stuff yep. um, for the future. So that, dude, that would be really cool to see, uh, see what comes out for that. But... I mean, you, know, you think about that. Still, Bash. He's 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 on parole for the rest of his life. Yeah. Like, but like, a, he's got to check in all the time. I mean, yep. but it, no matter how good he's doing, you know, you could tell that he's never going to let that guard down again. He's still going to his meetings. He's still leading yep. these groups. You know, he's still yeah. spreading the word. Um, and it's truly incredible. I mean, I'm starting to read his third book that he just uh, wrote, um, The Locker Room, I believe it's called. Yeah, but go go to Amazon, people, and, and get yourself the coffee bean. It's a quick read. It's a great read. It'll hit you on every level, I promise you. And it's something it you can just open up easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it Reflect does. back on And uh, now I, I was just up at Nemecolon uh, a week ago, and it is truly incredible. Some of y'all might have saw a video. I was looking at my golf ball um, on the 11th hole. Um, but it is beautiful <laughs> up there right now, Nemecolon.com. Right now, for 2023, we have two events scheduled with Nemecolon. So stay tuned for those details. Go to Nemecolon.com. Book your stay. Hey, bud, Elf Tuckins this December. You know, I know you like to get tucked in by the Elf every once in a while. So, um, Oh, bud, I love it. Especially when in silk sheets. Take the family. There's silk sheets. Mm-hmm. Silk sheets, Elf Tuck Man, and, and, and leave You're the in a onesie. On. I'll be good to go little right. bit man you know what i do though i cut i actually cut out the onesies like around my feet because i hate shit on my feet when i sleep but I'm like everything it. else is good man um i saw you up at them i'll tell you who's but, yeah you were moseying around and i was proud of you because unbeknownst to me you had a bag of player brand biltongs sitting there in your cart and i'm like mm, but i thought I you did. were on the diet you're not supposed to be eating now but you said hey this is good energy for the course. So, people, I know you guys are tired of maybe hearing some ads here and there, but this is not an ad. We are really into the player brand Biltong, playerbiltong.com, Birdies 10 at the checkout. It's great jerky to have in your bag. If you're golfing right now, golfing anywhere over the winter, in the summer, get yourself some of this player Biltong. It's incredible. Uh, and like I said, yeah, I've been traveling Birdies 10 with at the bug. checkout easy right flying on flights well i can't eat till 12 o'clock so i i you know if i'm on a flight and it's one o'clock i just yeah take a couple bites of that until i can get a meal so it's perfect bingo um bingo which rolls us into our next episode cool Mm. taylor country music songwriter he's written some bangers uh i know that one of Bash's favorite all-time songs, Sippin' on Fire. Oh, yeah. He sounds just like up, FGL. Yeah. Great song, by the way. But, I mean, he's written a new song for on Hardy's new episode. So, our country music fan base, tune in for the next episode of Chasing Birdies because we got another hit songwriter here, uh, Cole and Taylor. And he, ta- he talks about playing Augusta National with the boys. Yep. I was talking to a guy last night, actually. I was at I had two weddings to go to. And, um, you know, we were talking about golf and whatnot. And, you know, he's like, hey, man, I know I know somebody that got the call. He's like, I can only take nobody with me. It was just me. I got the call. Couldn't take any guess. Had to make it down there to Augusta. Incredible. Would you go, I'm dude? waiting for that. Would you leave me and be Cat's Bond? I mean, if you I... Fucking, you're it, such a little rat. You would. Well, That's nice. But if you... If you called, if what? you got a call and it was only one, would you go? Absolutely. No, oh, I declined at this point. Oh, I, oh yeah, I probably right. would. Yeah, I probably right. would. You'd be, right. Actually, yeah. that would be a, that would be a great. Uh, let's see what people would say. You know, hey, would you go to Augusta if you got a call for one? Leave your buds behind. Probably. There you go. Call for one to Augusta. You going or you not going? If your buddies can't go, you're going. Don't tell me otherwise. Well, if you're Anyways, going to Augusta, my man. make sure you head over to chasebirdies.com and, and pick Ooh. up some of our swag to wear on that flight down to Augusta if you're a party of one. 
Uh, there's some good stuff. We got some hoodies. We got some quarter zips from Holderness and Born, uh, polos, some cool hats. And uh, yep. stay tuned. There's gonna be some cool things happening on the website too. Uh, so chasingbirdies.com, Instagram chasing underscore birdies. Like, listen, love. Yep. Have a great week, bud. I, I, uh, buddy, listen, man. I just hope you keep this diet going. You're gonna be great for next summer uh, on the course and for your summer which is your wife hey guys thanks again for listening here on chasing birdies thank you to evo and simpler media for putting this thing together jacqueline dipaterio rachel london for all your social media help we appreciate the love everybody and we hope to see you here in a couple of weeks